Take a seat, please. This morning's reading is taken from Jeremiah, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and can be found on page 779 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. When the priest Pashur, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Pashur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord's name for you is not Pashur, but terror on every side. For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will give all Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the sword. I will deliver all the wealth of this city into the hands of their enemies, all its products, all its valuables, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. There you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, You who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrow without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow, and to my end my days in shame? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Patricia, thanks very much. Another one of those cheery passages from Jeremiah. We're getting used to them by now, aren't we? Just a word to say, um, well done if you've been coming week by week. I I hope you've been challenged. I have by Jeremiah. Uh, We've had four, five sermons now on uh, judgment passages in this this great long book. Um, But hope is coming. (laughs) Please, whatever you do, come back next week. As we get into the second half of the series and think about how God, having uprooted sin, also plants uh, hope. But today, we're thinking about this this very bleak passage in many ways in Jeremiah 20. And as Paul teed up at the start of the service, it's really where it gets personal. We've been hearing Jeremiah's message, uh, but um, it gets very personal here, where we get a glimpse into Jeremiah's heart. But here's a question to to set us off with. What happens if we are faithful to God in a hostile culture? What happens if we are faithful to God in a world which is hostile to him? There are great stories, aren't there, of those who stand up and are faithful and things go brilliantly well with them. Uh, You might uh, know the film Chariots of Fire. This is a little still from the film. It's about a, a guy called Eric Liddell who um, ran for, for um, Britain in the Olympics uh, and he wouldn't run on a Sunday. And he was sneered at and people say, oh, what's he doing? But he was a Christian and so he said, I'm not going to run on a Sunday. Uh, that day I give, I give to God and to church uh, and, and for worship, so I'm not going to run. Uh, and he stood up. And at the end, it means he has to switch events to a, a less favoured event. Uh, and one of, the other, one of the American athletes passes him a note, and it says, oh, in, in the good book it says, those who honour me, I will honour. And then Liddell goes and he runs, and of course he wins the gold medal, which is true, it all, all happened. It's a great story, isn't it? He's faithful to God, he stands up for God, and, and then he, it all works out. He gets his gold medal. Uh, or you might know some other stories. I came across one this week of um, Hudson Taylor who uh, it was a very stormy night. He, be, he was a guy who was a missionary with the China Inland Mission. And on one very stormy night, he was meant to go and speak to a church. And one of the uh, uh, women in the bed and breakfast he was staying at said, don't bother, Mr. Taylor. It won't be worth it. No one will turn up. It's too windy. It's too cold. Very discouraged. No one will be bothered. But of course, he goes anyway, and he's faithful. And there are only about 10 people there. But half of them, respond to the message and become missionaries in China, and the other half give sacrificially and enormously to support the work of the China Inland Mission. Great story. He stood up when it didn't look good, it looked a bit bleak, and God was, was faithful. And uh, he, he, being faithful to God meant he, he had a fruitful uh, outcome. Those who honor me, I will honor it. It sounds brilliant, doesn't it? And yet... What about Jeremiah? Because he was faithful to God in a faithless time, in a faithless world, when the people of God themselves were faithless. What happens when you stand up and are faithful to God in a world or in a church that has turned its back on the living and true God? What happens? Well, there are four points I I want to make from this passage in Jeremiah 20. And the first is this. If you are faithful, you will be persecuted. 
We've been hearing Jeremiah's message of uprooting, and I guess some of us have found it uncomfortable. It's not particularly pleasant to listen to. Well, we're not anything special. The people of Jeremiah's own day didn't like it either. It wasn't well received. So verse 1, when the priest, Pashur, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. So this guy, Pashur, he's like a high-ranking official. He's not the high priest, but he's probably like chief of security for the temple area. It's his job to keep law and order. And so he hears Jeremiah preaching these things, the things we've been hearing, specifically the things we heard last week about how the nation is going to be uprooted and destroyed like an old clay pot. And he reacts with anger. He beats the prophet of God and puts him in the stocks. What's going on here? Well, there's a little clue in the name, Pashur. There's a lot of debate uh, about what the name really means. There's lots of uh, options. Uh, but it's probably, the best, the best I've come across to explain it is that actually it's, it's a sort of Aramaic name, which was very close language to Hebrew. Uh, and in Aramaic, Pashur means something like Fruitful all around. Fruitful all around. And that sums up the kind of person Pashur was and the kind of message he liked to hear. Fruitful. Yes, God's going to bless us. We all love hearing messages like that. And Pashur, the man and his name, reflected his message. So when he hears Jeremiah going out saying, no, God is going to judge, he does not like him. And then Jeremiah, full of irony, full of irony, verse 3, the next day when Pashur, fruitful all around, released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not Pashur, it's not fruitful all around, but terror on every side. Uh, And actually, um, the word there for for terror uh, is a Hebrew word, Megor. Megor. And and terror is a good translation, but it could mean one of three things. It could mean terror, it could mean attack, or it could mean exile. It has all those different meanings. And actually, from verses 4 to 6, you see that Jeremiah is saying it's going to have all those meanings for Pashur. Uh, He's going to be a terror in verse 4 to himself and all his friends. Um, And with your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. There's going to be an attack. I will give all Judah into the hands of Babylon. All who carry them away to Babylon and put them to the sword, I will deliver all the wealth of this city into the hands of their enemies. You're going to be attacked, Pashur. And then verse 6, you, Pashur, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. You're going to be exiled. It's going to be Magor on every side. Any way you look, any way you want to cut it, Pashur. It's not going to be fruitful for you. You too are going to be judged. Now this, I think, gets to the heart of all of us at some level. Who here doesn't prefer to come to church and hear a positive, upbeat message? I do. And of course, it's right that we preach hope and good news because the gospel is good news. But but there is still, in the Bible, there are passages like this. 
And Jeremiah's message is both uprooting and planting. And we can't just preach the positive. As uncomfortable as it might be, it is not kind. And it is not good. And look at Jeremiah's verdict on people like Pashur who preach the positive only, the fruitful on every side only. In Babylon, he will die and be buried at the end of verse 6. You and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. I found this a challenge as I prepared this week. Any who teach God's word or tell the gospel to someone else to just give the positive side and not the negative. Well, well, how is it that Jeremiah responds to that? How does he view it? It's lying words. It's a lying prophecy. And Jeremiah had to be faithful to the truth of all God had said, the positive and the negative, the planting and the uprooting. Just as a note of interest, it's quite um, uh, clever what Jeremiah does here. So Pashur, fruitful, uh, wants a nice fruitful ministry. And he would probably have uh, looked back to the great promises to Abraham, that Abraham would be fruitful and increase in number in the land. Abraham came from Babylon into the promised land and went from a a position where he was was barren, wasn't able to have children, uh, to a a point where he became fruitful and a great uh, ancestor for all the people. And do you see how in these verses, actually, there's kind of a a reverse happening. Pashur and people like him, they're going to go from the promised land back to Babylon. And from fruitfulness to barrenness. It's like an anti-Abraham thing going on in these verses. Pashur probably was very self-confident, thinking he was one of the special ones, one of God's people. And Jeremiah says, that doesn't count for anything if you don't listen to God's voice. If you don't listen to his words. But what I want to focus on in these six verses is Jeremiah's treatment. Because he is treated shamefully. Beaten and locked in the stocks. Persecuted because he dared to preach the whole counsel of God. Not just the bits that he thought would go down well. And I want to say, if we aim to stand up for Jesus and live a godly life, the New Testament says that Jeremiah's experience, to some extent, will be ours too. So, 2 Timothy 3, everyone, notice that, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's good that God warns us ahead of time. And we need to be clear on this. In 1 Peter 5, it says, don't be surprised at the trial you're undergoing as though something strange were happening. In fact, as you read through the Bible, you do read that though, of course, there is wonderful joy and wonderful glory in knowing the living and true God, knowing that he is our God. He doesn't necessarily promise us an easy ride. We've got to be clear on that ahead of time so that we're ready when the persecution comes. If you want to live a godly life, like Jeremiah did, you can expect persecution. Well, second point, if you are faithful, you will be persecuted. Second point, if you are faithful, 
you can feel powerless. So after this encounter with Peshur, we then get one of these uh, great um, laments or um, complaints or confessions of Jeremiah. There are a few of them in the book. Beautiful poetry. Uh, And what we're seeing here is the prophet bearing his soul to God. There's nothing quite like it elsewhere in the Old Testament of such intimacy, such close personal connection uh, with God. Now, I don't know whether you are feeling fed up with four or five weeks of the message of Jeremiah, but think how Jeremiah felt. He had 40 or 50 years of it. And 40 or 50 years of this treatment. How does he feel? Well, this gets to the heart of it. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. You can feel the anguish. Now, just a note here. Notice how personal he is with God. Before the awesome Lord of the universe, he feels free to pray, verse 7. You can can only speak like that to someone you really know, (laughs) particularly when they are someone of great authority. There is a closeness, an intimacy between Jeremiah and God here, even as he pours out these anguished feelings. And the basic tone of verses 7 to 10 is how powerless he feels. The Lord overpowered him and prevailed. The Lord sent him on this mission. There was no way Jeremiah could refuse. He had no way out. And then verse 9, or verse 8 and 9, um, you know, so whenever he speaks and tells the message God's given him, All that happens is he gets mocked, he gets insulted, he hurts, it's painful. And then verse 9, so he thinks, well, maybe I better not say anything. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word's in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. I cannot. He doesn't really want to preach. But he can't not preach because God's word burns in him. God has placed a mission and a call on his heart. Now, there are times I feel like that, a a little shadow of that. Uh, Maybe for me, it's it's when I go and talk to a loved one, a close one about Jesus, someone who doesn't know the Lord. Do you know that experience of you know you have to share Jesus with this person because you love them and they need to know Jesus and yet yet you know there's this huge bit in you that says, oh, they're not going to like it. They're not going to want it. Well, that's just a, a little shadow experience of a much bigger thing Jeremiah experiences here as he goes and takes God's word out to the whole nation. And then, of course, he gets mocked. His own words are used against him in verse 10. He called Pashur terror on every side, and now everyone's taunting him with it, calling him names. They whisper, terror on every side. There he goes, old Jeremiah, old terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. He feels trapped into a role he didn't choose, he doesn't particularly want, and yet he cannot avoid. And yet, I don't know how you feel about your Christian life, I don't know if you ever feel like you're trapped if you're, if you're a believer um, here today. I don't know if you ever feel like this in some small way. I don't know how you feel in those moments, whether any of this echoes with you. 
But there's something really important not to miss back in verse 7, and it's there again in verse 8. The word Lord in capitals. That's the Bible's way of translating in our English versions God's personal covenant name. The name he gave to his people. He says, you will know me by this name because you're my people and I'm your God. It's amazing in this moment of feeling trapped, in this moment of feeling powerless, Jeremiah still calls God the Lord. Possibly in Hebrew, Yahweh or something like that. My covenant God. It's important to cling on there. If persecution is is a given in a godly Christian life, if we're all going to have moments where we feel like we might be trapped, let's learn from Jeremiah. He goes to the God who he knows to be his God, who is there. No matter how he's feeling, his God is there. And that leads us into our, our Third point, that if we're faithful, although we feel powerless, we also have a protector. Verse 11. The Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. I love how verse 11 reverses verse 10. So here they are. They're waiting for him to slip up. Uh, And then, actually, it's his persecutors who are going to stumble, not him. They're looking for him to be disgraced and denounced, but they're the ones who are ultimately going to be disgraced and denounced. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Now, we might be a little uncomfortable there about praying uh, for vengeance, um, I think we always need to balance that when we pray with the idea that God is the ultimate judge and it's his to avenge. But there is sometimes a right place to say what has happened is wrong, it is unrighteous, and to ask God to act in his justice. Whilst always praying with humility, saying, but at the end of the day, Lord, you're God, I'm not. You know more than I do. And so I leave this in your hand. I think there is a place still to pray prayers like that as long as we pray them with humility. And certainly for Jeremiah, there was a place, given his outrageous treatment. But the thing Jeremiah knows about God, look, he's the mighty warrior here. He examines the righteous. He probes heart and mind. He is a God of vengeance. We're getting a picture of Jeremiah's God as huge, uncontrollable, awesome, And that's good news. If he's our God, the Lord, the covenant God. We want a God who is big and powerful and mighty to save. Because that means whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can still have hope. Because of him. Because of who he is. And persecuted Christians throughout the world will often tell you about the comfort they know in knowing, A, that God is very big, 
and B, that God is very just. See, we don't always connect very well with these judgment passages because we tend to live quite a safe, quiet Christian life here in the UK in general. I know there are times when it's hard to be a Christian, but in general, we have liberties and freedoms that most Christians have never enjoyed. And when the church is under persecution and pressure, one of the most, two of the most comforting teachings of the Bible are A, that God is awesomely powerful, and B, that God is a just judge. It's preciously true. Those who oppose, persecute, those, those people who are our enemies will have someone to answer to. Someone they can't laugh at or run away from. Let me tell you a story. I may have told this before. I can't remember about this guy. There's a guy called Polycarp. And he lived, uh, you know, between the first and second century AD. Bishop in the early church. He'd been a, he was 86. Uh, and he claimed he'd been a Christian for 84 of those 86 years. Very old man at the end of his life. And he was dragged out on trial before a Roman tribunal with a young sort of proconsul mocking him and trying to make him uh, offer a pagan sacrifice and denounce Jesus. Uh, they did this to a lot of the early church leaders, so they mocked him. And he said, no, not going to do it. Uh, and he said, well, if you, if you don't, I'm going to get the wild beasts out here. I'm going to set them on you, and they'll tear you apart if you don't denounce Jesus. He just looked, he said... I've been following my Lord Christ for 84 years. He has done me no wrong. I will not desert him now. So he tried another trick, the proconsul. He says, all right, not beasts. If you don't denounce Jesus, we'll set you on fire. We'll burn you alive until your organs melt. Just looks at this young guy. He has all the power, this young proconsul. Power of life and death over Polycarp. And he just looks at him and says, you threaten me with a fire that burns for a moment. You know nothing of the fire that lasts forever. Christians who are persecuted. It's actually a tremendously sweet and comforting doctrine to know that we have an awesome, all-powerful God and he is the judge. And so Jeremiah can say, verse 13, what a, what a great statement of faith. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Amen. But notice that that Jeremiah is not superficial in his relationship with God. He prays from the depths of his heart. He bears his soul. And he knows God well. He knows how big and glorious and awesome God is. If you want to deal with grief, you need to go deep with God. If you want to deal with grief, if you want to be ready when grief and persecution come, you need to go deep with God. You need to be deep in his word. You need to study his character. You need to have a vision of how big and amazing he is because that is the anchor that will hold you steady. That will allow you to sing verse 13 in the pain of persecution. How are you studying the character of God? How are you going deeper with God in your prayer life? Friends, it's so vital for living a Christian life. Because persecution is real and we'll often feel powerless. So we need to know we have our protector. Now, if Hollywood were writing Jeremiah 20, which would be weird, but 
if they were writing Jeremiah 20, they'd stop at verse 13 on a wonderful, happy ending. But I love that that's not where God stops. And it's not where Jeremiah stops. Because you see, verses 14 to 18 are perhaps some of the deepest and darkest verses that Jeremiah ever wrote. And they come right after verse 13. This is a believer. This is someone who knows his God. This is someone who knows he has a protector. And yet he can still pray these verses. He can still admit that life is painful and this is how he feels. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow, and to end my days in shame? The reality is, though he knows the truth of God, Jeremiah can still feel like he wishes he wasn't born. He can feel that dark. Now, a few things to notice in these verses. First, Jeremiah neither curses God nor his parents. Because in the law, those things were strictly forbidden. Did you notice? He's very careful to curse the day he was born. Uh, curse uh, the person who brought uh, his father the news. He's not going to curse his father. He's not going to curse God. And the person who brought the father the news is not a real curse on a real person. It's just a way of him not breaking God's law. Because the point is here, Jeremiah continues to be faithful in his pain. He's a believer. He can feel like this. And yet he's a believer. And that's a sign that, well, what we have here is something very like depression that Jeremiah is struggling with. But it's not despair. There's a distinction between those two things. He can feel as low and dark as this. And yet his, his willingness to stick to the law shows that still he knows verse 13 is true. He still knows there is a God to cling to. He still has hope in that God. And so I want to say that Christians can and do struggle with depression of various kinds. And if you're going through that uh, right now, please seek help. Seek help from medical professionals. Seek help from people at church. Uh, let's, let's be a place where we can be open and honest about our struggles because Christians can feel like this. Let's point one another back to that God who is our anchor, who was the anchor and the hope for Jeremiah. Let's not be superficial or shallow. Let's seek the help that we need. But let's not give in to despair, even if we're depressed. Jeremiah can speak as plainly as this about his feelings, and yet, yet it's not despair. because he still knows he has a protector. Um, if this is a struggle for you or someone you know in particular, um, this book has come highly recommended by uh, Mark Maynell, When Darkness Seems My Closest Friend. Mark is a, a, a pastor, a, a teacher of a, a church in, in London, I think. 
uh, or he was for many years, uh, someone who preached God's word like Jeremiah regularly, and yet he's very honest in the book that this is his struggle, um, and that might be a useful resource. There are other useful resources on this uh, as well that might help us. Um, but remember, remember what Jeremiah knew, that even when it feels very dark and very bleak, there is still a God there to call to. And if you are a Christian, he is still your God. Jeremiah's confession here, Jeremiah's prayer here, shows us the real pain believers can can be wrestling with. And even when you know the gospel, like Jeremiah does, even when you can affirm your faith, as he does so clearly in verse 13, it doesn't mean the pain all goes away. That's why I love that verse 14 to 18 come after verse 13. Because even as a believer, you can wrestle and struggle with serious pain. This world's a messy place. And our lives are messy places. There's no harm in admitting it. But in the mess and in the pain, we need to turn our tears back to God and cling to him. Because the glorious promise of the Bible is, whilst as Christians we may have to deal with pain in the here and now, the glorious promise of the Bible is that God ultimately will wipe away every tear. We will have to wait for Jesus' return for that to happen. But if we believe in a God this big and amazing, we surely can have hope that he can do it. Even when we're feeling the reality of verses 14 to 18. So my prayer for all of us as we go away from this is is to realize the reality of the mess and the brokenness, the pain uh, of life following God from time to time. But not to let that turn us away from him. But to turn our hearts and minds and eyes back to our protector God. If you're not a believer here today, can I just say... um, I can't promise you becoming a Christian gets rid of all your problems. It didn't for Jeremiah. It almost certainly won't for you. But what you will have is someone to cling to in any moment, no matter how dark it gets. Someone to be your protector. A God who is huge and powerful and just. A God you can call your God. A God you can turn all your tears to. And know he will be there. And that's so precious. <laughs> He's also a God, of course, who knows what it is to have tears. Because he is the God who took on flesh and became the Lord Jesus Christ, a man of sorrows, familiar with grief. A man who went into the very depths of the grave for us, for our salvation. Jesus, who who never had to cry tears, came down and 
was caught up in our tears so that one day he'd wipe every single tear away. That's the God who stands there with open arms and says, come, let me be your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book of Jeremiah. Thank you for the honesty, the open heart with which Jeremiah preaches and prays. Thank you for the rawness of the emotion which connects with our experience. But in all of it, thank you that Jeremiah shows us not to lose our connection with you. That the healthy thing, the good thing for us to do is to take our pain and our tears to you. Thank you, you're a God who's big enough and awesome enough to deal with all that. Father, I I pray uh, that anything unhelpful that I've said will drift away on the wind and not be remembered. But I pray that all of us will hear that there is a God there for us to cry out to and cling to that all of us would be prepared for persecution and prepared for pain because we know you are our Lord and our protector, our mighty warrior God, full of goodness, love, and kindness. Lord, we pray you'll help us to go deeper with you as a result of this. And we pray that our hearts, having maybe been shaken over these last few weeks with this uprooting message, will be ready and prepared to hear of the hope you wish to plant in the next few weeks. For Jesus' sake, amen.